Welcome to Prescribing Prosperity with your hosts, John and Alex Sutsos from MidWealth Financial Services, operating through IPC Securities Corporation. In this podcast, we provide unique insights into wealth management, the psychology of financial decisions, and help listeners place the capital markets into perspective. Our aim is to help physicians, business owners, and other medical professionals to live their dream. Life is to live and enjoy, so we'll also cover health and lifestyle-related topics such as food, dining, travel, and unique experiences. Learn how global trends shape our investment strategy as we help you assemble your roadmap to prosperity. Hello, and welcome to Prescribing Prosperity, the podcast hosted by John and Alex Sutsos. Gentlemen, good to see you again. It's always nice to be with you. Likewise, Bill. Nice to Thank see you, you, Bill. Hope all's well. Yeah, not too bad. Everything's going uh, going smoothly on our end. Busy as always, but uh, no complaints. Well, today I understand it's going to be a rather uh, constructive podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and to help us out with that conversation is the guest, Adam Sachik. But Adam is uh, a, a contractor and owner of 5B Construction. He is here this week to talk about the secrets of the construction trade and how it might relate in terms of, of getting things done and planning out what needs to be done. Adam, good to see you. Welcome. Thank you very much. Good to be here. And with that introduction, I'm going to turn this over to John to let him start the conversation. John, Adam is all yours. Hey, Adam. Good to see you again. Good to see you, John. Uh, uh, full disclosure, Adam just uh, finished doing uh, some uh, major renovations in my house. So ha we have a little bit of a bias here. So do uh, I. I. It was a beautiful <laughs> project. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, yeah, well I, that, that, that's good, though, John, because there are a lot of people who don't have friendly relations with their ex-contractors. So that's yeah. excellent. Well, that, that's interesting you should say that. Adam was referred to us through a mutual friend, uh, John Orsini. And uh, uh, John's wife has a policy that none of her friends get to use John. So there are no hard feelings if things don't go the right way. So, I have a similar policy amongst my friends as well. <laughs> okay, that's problematic now, Adam. So now you're saying I'm not your friend. <laughs> <laughs> Become friends. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. We hired Adam uh, strictly for one reason. And uh, he told me he was a fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I thought, oh. <laughs> What what more do you need in a, as a qualifier for a contractor other than knowing that his heart is in the right place and uh, he's clearly a rational and logical human being? <laughs> so so that's how it all began. <clears throat> Adam, uh, tell us a little bit about your career journey and how you ended up with your own construction company. Uh, well, um, I've been kind of... Uh, through a lot of different jobs over the years, uh, trying to find uh, my niche. I actually uh, graduated from Waterloo um, with the hopes to become a chartered accountant to follow in my father's footsteps. I found out very quickly that was not where my mind was and where my heart was. And uh, I had several jobs as uh, project managers. I've uh, been a gymnastic coach. I've kind of done all kinds of things, but I've always had a knack for being handy. And I think it was actually a friend of mine who um, uh, had a uh, cottage up in uh, um, Dorset area. And uh, the, a tree fell across um, due to one winter storm, fell across the deck. 
broke it in half and uh, nobody knew how to fix it of his family. And they, they knew I was a little handy. They called me. I went up there, visualized it on my head, made a list, and we rebuilt it in the weekend with all of their help. And I just stepped back and said, this is what I'm meant to do and started pursuing it. That's amazing. That's amazing. What a, what a, what a good story. So you need to back up a little bit. You said gymnastics coach. Yeah. Okay. So, so I haven't heard that one before. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? I, uh, I actually, um, I did gymnastics my whole life, right from when I was uh, about uh, five years old. Uh, I was actually a provincial level gymnast, uh, never made it to nationals, but enjoyed the sport a lot. And as I got older, I uh, went left the uh, part, the competitive aspect and started uh, to learn how to become a coach. And I ended up uh, learning, uh, taking coaching seminars and um, becoming a uh, provincial level uh, women's gymnastic coach. And I did that for several years. Um, you really do it for love of the, uh, of the game because uh, you're not going to get rich doing that. So. <laughs> right. Right. So, so I, I take it you in your day performed the iron cross. Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, that was probably about the, uh, the height of my career. And uh, I was able to do an iron cross for about a half a second. And <laughs> that was about it. It's uh, one of the harder uh, strength moves to accomplish in, uh, in your career. I um, picture uh, Vince Vaughn in old school with the cigarette dangling from his yeah. lip doing the iron cross. It's, it's uh... probably something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so was that your only event, Adam, or did you have to? Uh, oh no, I, I competed in all events: um, all events. floor wow. rings, uh, parallel bars, um, high bar, yeah. vault. Yeah, you must have been one strong guy in uh, in your heyday, and not to say that you're not now, but just I'm, <laughs> I, I'm picturing it was a different it. type of strength. Uh, you yes. could do uh, 200 push-ups without batting an eye, but uh, now Jeez. it's hard to get up out of bed sometimes. You know? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But you know what? The It's funny you mentioned being a, an accountant, because one of the things that I've admired about your work is that you're able to take a step back and, and manage it and think about it in broad terms and, and, and uh, analyze the situation. You have a very analytical and rational mind. And that's not always the case uh, with certain people when they get into this type of work is, is they know how to do the the nuts and bolts of it. They know how to do the hands-on work. When it comes to actually managing the project, uh, a lot of people tend to struggle with that big picture thinking. And so I think your your background in, in accounting there was uh, was probably actually very formative and very helpful in, in preparing you for for this type of work. Well, I, I, I agree. Like it, it did give me, um, I, I, I liked it. I, I enjoyed it, but not, um, I would watch my father. I grew up, obviously he was a chartered accountant and I grew up watching him and he was giddy with numbers. Uh, like, like he, he would almost sit there getting excited when he'd be sitting there doing all the books for somebody. And, and I just, I didn't have that passion for it. So I look at it more of along the lines of, it's not that I couldn't do it, but I wouldn't have been happy doing it. And, uh, and yeah, that I've, I've always been a puzzle guy. I love sitting back and I'll do 5,000 piece puzzles. My daughter and I'll sit there and my wife just walks away and goes, I, I don't know what you guys are doing. So. <laughs> Fair. That, that's so incredible patience required to do something like that. <laughs> no kidding. So Adam, did you do any sort of uh, training or apprentice work in order to become a, a builder and a contractor, or you just kind of so, figured it out as you went along? Well, um, a, a little bit of combination. So 
many of the trades, plumbers, electricians, and whatnot, they they do require um, a certain level of school, uh, an apprenticeship. There are bodies uh, that regulate those industries, and you have to re- you have to have a, a plumbing license, and you have to be apprentice for so long before you can become a master plumber. For to be a general contractor, though, what I have done is figured out first the direction I wanted to go. And then I started working with people that I knew that were kind of in the industry looking for help. Um, my stepfather actually did little house renovations. And so I kind of did some work with him until I figured this is all I can learn from you. And I moved on to the next person and, and so on and so forth. I, I'm, I'm mostly self-taught in that uh, what I, I, I still do, do to this day is I hire licensed highly qualified professionals. And a lot of times I'll be on site and I'll just watch them. I'll watch, I'll ask questions and find out why they're doing something. Is it because of code? Is this the proper way of doing something? And then ultimately in the end, after I gained all this knowledge, um, I actually went uh, in the city of Hamilton and um, it requires a knowledge of the um, Section 9 of the Ontario Building Code and wrote their uh, uh, master uh, contractor exam. So, and passed that and have my master contractor's license. So there are no, there's no degree that you require to be a general contractor. Obviously you need to be um, licensed in the cities uh, municipally that you're working. But other than that, uh, it's hiring the right people that are all licensed in the fields that they're licensed in. So you have to go get a license every time you work in a new city? Theoretically, yes. Okay. (laughs) Theoretically. (laughs) We can edit out the theoretically if you want, Adam. (laughs) Um, There there aren't too many, uh, you know, if if any building inspectors are watching, there aren't too many people that actually uh, go to get it in every single city that they work in. (laughs) That's fair. Don't 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 worry about the politicians. Uh, they have yeah. their own issues too that yeah. they're not enforcing. Uh, I've never so, been asked to see it. <laughs> so, exactly. Aside from special certifications, I think what a, a good contractor requires is one one common sense, and two requires uh, an understanding of people and uh, being able to relate. And uh, we experienced that with you, Adam. Um, uh, and I and clearly. Common sense is something that's uh, that's in short supply these days, and uh, it's not very common, uh, is it? Yeah, no, it's not very common at all. But uh, Adam, just to shift gears on you a bit, <clears throat> none of us want are are eager to relive the experiences during the pandemic. Uh, but one of the areas that seemed to have thrived uh, during that period was uh, the home renovation industry. Did you notice an appreciable difference in the amount of business you did during and immediately following the pandemic? I wouldn't say, um, I mean, immediately before, the, I mean, nobody kind of knew what was going on there. Uh, mm-hmm. During, uh, obviously, outside of the shutdowns, uh, when we were allowed to work again, I found that people were calling, but um, you, you had a lot of hesitation from people. They were nervous to have people in their homes. Uh, it was a logistical nightmare. I didn't find that it was... Um, there was a lot of major jobs, but a lot of small jobs. Uh, people were calling because they wanted their powder room redone or 
Uh, they had an office that just needed a facelift with some new cabinetry or something small of that nature. Um, I think it had to do a lot with the fact that people were home all the time now, right. sitting amongst these jobs and renos that they want to have done. You take for granted that uh, you spend most of your waking hour at an office prior to the pandemic. You know, you get up in the morning, you go to an office and you're away from the house and you're only there in the evening. So a lot of things get put on the back burners, but uh, that, that was, that was the most of it. I didn't find um, people were looking to gut their houses or do major additions or anything of that nature, not immediately following the pandemic. And what? during it was very sketchy uh, with people. They were, like I said, very nervous to have people in their homes. And when things opened up, what happened to the, to your business demand? So in recent last two years, everything has just, I found, just exploded. Uh, mostly, I'm going to say this was prior to very current with the uh, current interest rate, the way interest rates have gone and prices have kind of gone back up and cost of living has gone back up. But uh, prior to that, last two years, everybody, I think, gotten over the fact everybody is vaccinated or uh, those thoughts of, of and worries of the past are kind of in the past. And yeah, it's all the people have jobs and uh, rentals that they've wanted to have done. Maybe they've saved up the money for it. And it's kind of like everyone wants to pull the trigger all at once. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and so you're, you're running around trying to, trying to meet demand and that's difficult tell me about the uh, material costs before and after the pandemic. I can I can use a, a sheet of plywood is my my uh, greatest example just because um, it's something I use all the time and before the pandemic a sheet of plywood was like thirty six dollars during the pandemic at its height I think it was one hundred and eight dollars a sheet so it was like wow. triple wow. I know that because I renovated my house at that time and yeah I paid triple for each uh, building material. And then, um, and now it's come back down, but it's around 68, you know, somewhere around that. So it's about double, double what it was a little less, but it's not triple anymore. So how, how about supply chains? Um, supply chains, uh, they did for a while there, you had very extremely limited supply chains as the pandemic shut everything down. In order to get product back on shelves, many companies reduced the number of offerings. If they offered maybe 10 different products, they condensed it down to maybe three so that they could mass produce a lot of them. So you had less variety, uh, but they were actually getting uh, product back on shelves. Uh, now I find that there's no issue. I mean, everything, shelves are stocked. I don't find that there's much in the way of supply chain issues as much. You, you do get it here and there, but it wouldn't be pandemic related. It might be shipping or related or depending on where it's coming from. I find the biggest problem today is quality. Quality control has gone down the toilet. Really? Yeah. And to what do you attribute that? Uh, quite honestly, just companies not um, getting maybe back up to full speed because during the pandemic, mm -hmm. I found that unnecessary jobs were cut for cost, possibly things like quality control. Uh, and again, to get product out after the pandemic, they were releasing a lot more and, and holding back less because product was, I, you, you were waiting 
months and months for for basic things that were all always on shelves. Uh, refrigerators, uh, appliances, they were nine month wait light lists. Windows, I waited over a year to get windows for for a place. Adam, have they banned gas stoves in Canada or are they planning no. to? Uh, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> okay, because uh, we've been hearing I've this heard, stuff I've from heard the United that. States. Yeah, I've heard that. Uh, not that I'm aware of. As far as, uh, you know, right now, everything is still available and still being produced. So oh, that, that's good to know because my wife's Italian. And if anyone comes near her gas stove, she's going to kill them. <laughs> I, I would agree with her because uh, <laughs> if you've ever cooked on gas and you had to go to electric, even for the short term, it's yeah. it's a massive difference. That, that's yeah. what I had for to sure. do moving, moving from my parents' house to uh, to my house. I went from gas stop to, uh, to electric top. And it's a night and day difference in terms of... Oh, yeah the quality and and how easy it is to cook but anyway i mean think about every single restaurant in the world i mean there's not an electric uh stove in any of them no yeah for sure uh, adam pandemic aside one of the biggest issues affecting pricing appears to be the lack of skilled labor uh, skilled labor why do you think there's such a shortage of people who are able to do high quality trades work well um a, a big problem was again going back to the pandemic is the pandemic, I don't know if it forced, but it gave the opportunity or the will for a lot of people to retire. Uh, people just looked at it and said, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to risk my health or whatever the reasoning was. And a lot of the uh, tradesmen, uh, the, the quality ones, the ones that have had 30, 40, 50 years of experience, they all retired. They said, I don't want to do this anymore. And I've had, I had many sub trades that I had to find new sub trades to replace due to the fact that they just said, I'm not doing this anymore. And since then, and due to when, when everything went back, there was this giant hole and of, of sub trades. And what I found is that, you know, a lot of the younger guys thought, they could waltz in because they were in high demand because everybody needed whatever trade it was. And uh, the, they didn't have the years of experience that, that allowed them to cut their teeth and, and really understand their business. They may have been able to do a decent job, but they couldn't do that primo job. Oh, so over the course of your career, have you seen a decline in the skilled labor force, uh, one thing that comes to my mind are plasterers and the guys who would do the beautiful designs on ceilings and homes. It Certain skilled trades are are harder to find only because the, the general building industry doesn't use that style as often anymore. You, you don't find a lot of homes with a lot of intricate plaster work. Uh, you would have to be in more into the restoration end of things. Uh, where you will get skilled guys, you will wait for them, and they will cost a lot. But there are fewer guys that know how to do that. And then again, there's not a big market for new people coming into the industry to learn that that specific trade because it takes years to master. So, so is that Adam a function of the people who are constructing homes? Uh, realize that there are limited uh, numbers of people who can do that, have that skill, or the cost is too high and they've cognizantly decided, well, we don't want to pay that high cost and we're going to find a, a lower cost alternative. 
Well, I mean, uh, new subdivisions, you you typically get what's considered builder grade to start, right? You'll go in and say, here's your finishes. And even then you're going to get MDF finishes. Maybe you're going to get some wood trim. Um, you're going to get basic hollow core doors. Usually you're upgrading to things like solid core doors or solid wood trims and casements. Those things, the building materials are still used today but you're not going to get an upgrade to plaster moldings. They just aren't offered. Uh, it's very expensive. Usually you will see that type of product in custom homes. So if you're building a one of, you're very much going into the unique, I want this to look a certain way and here's the product I want to use. And when that's the case, we find the right company, and or tradesmen that is able to do that. And like I said, they're out there. There's just not as many of them because I mean, who can do a lath and plaster wall anymore, right? That That's just a dead technology in, in the world of home building. So nobody knows how to do it. And that used to be an art. I mean, right. I've seen, I've seen plaster. I've had a plaster worker that had to fix up an old plaster ceiling. And the thing looked like a piece of paper. It was perfect. And I was so right. impressed by it. And it looked, a thousand times better than drywall, but the cost of having him repair that thing was massive. Right. But it was original to the house. The homeowner was extremely happy when we were done. Nice, good. That's great. And, and it is tough because uh, so much of it is driven by cost nowadays. And like you said, unless it's a custom job, everybody's uh, it's a race to the bottom when it comes to the um, the various home builders. Sometimes, in order to try and you know quote the the most competitive price possible for a project, um, it can be. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, moving into specifically home renovations, I, I've got two friends of mine who are either done or in the process of uh, completely redoing their homes uh, from top to bottom. One did it himself. One mm -hmm. contracted out all of it to uh, to a number of different people. And so, uh, you know, you see the I've seen at least the difference in speed, obviously, that comes with doing it yourself versus having it contracted out. But with fewer professional options available, or like I said, cost potentially prohibiting a lot of people from hiring professional workers. It seems like we've seen a major increase in the number of do-it-yourselfers. In your opinion, what are the types of jobs that the average person can do themselves versus having to necessarily bring out a, a contractor or a tradesman to do a, a particular job? Well, I mean, um, DIY projects really should be Things that don't require, I think this should go without saying, but things that don't require a license. Uh, definitely, you shouldn't be doing anything structural. Uh, you shouldn't be doing any kind of gas work. You are actually legally allowed as a homeowner to do your own electrical work because the Electrical Safety Authority or the ESA, uh, as long as you call them to inspect your work, mm -hmm. uh, they will put a sticker on it and pass it for you. Uh, okay. They wouldn't do that for me. I'm a contractor. And if I did the work for you, I'm not allowed. I have to be a licensed contractor. Right. But for my own home, I could do all my own electrical work as long as I get it inspected. Uh, mm -hmm. Plumbing, uh, it falls under the Ontario Building Code. So if you are to replumb your house, that would require a plumbing contractor. Okay. But, you know, if, if you want to go in and change your trim, put up some drywall, put down flooring, change mm -hmm. out some cabinets. These are all projects a, a do-it-yourselfer can do. 
None of them require any kind of special permits. None of them require any structural drawings or knowledge of of anything of that nature. Okay. And so, you know, with that being the case, you know, obviously people can do some of those projects. What are some of the uh, what are some of the projects that you would warn people against uh, amongst the ones that you can do? One of the ones that they should be avoiding at all costs because they might make a a mistake or might end up making things more difficult. Well, um, like I said, if if the the biggest ones that I always warn people, I mean, unless you know what you're doing, you shouldn't be touching your electrical. Mm -hmm. Okay, Um, it's just too easy to have something short out uh, and uh, and cause a fire. If uh, if you screw up on your plumbing you can actually do massive amounts of damage to your home because if you have a tap on the second or third floor and it's leaking and you go away for the weekend and you come back, that water will keep going down through every floor, ruining all the floors, the ceilings. You could end up with tens of thousands of dollars in water damage right? uh, just because you didn't uh, do it correctly. They're not hard projects, but it's something that you really just should know what you're doing too often i see what i call hodgepodge jobs where somebody said oh this was leaking so they took some you know uh, electrical tape and wrapped it around 14 times and it, it held so they were fine with it but then right. when it fails it fails big what uh, sorry to interject but in speaking to uh, my home insurance company recently they said that water damage is uh, the most often cited claim for homeowners and it's the biggest cost to the insurance companies. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Electrical, um, most people don't touch electrical work uh, and and modern day electrical appliances and everything and, and our breaker system, it's designed to protect you and not arc and create a fire. It's It's more and more rare to have an electrical fire in a home. But water is water, you know. If you if you leave your tap running or a, or a tub fills up and spills over, most of it I find is uh, almost all water damage that I ever go into a home and repair is from a leaking toilet or a leaking shower, and people and, don't know about it until it comes through the ceiling. And, and so when people do go ahead and do their own plumbing work, do they what? Basically, what my question is: How do they get caught? Like it. Does the home inspector have to come through or is it not until you've sold the house realistically and the buyers bring in an inspector? Like how, how does that, uh, how do you remedy that issue? Because obviously there's nothing to really stop somebody from saying, I'm just going to do my own plumbing work. I'm going to go grab some PVC pipes down at the hardware store and, and stick them in. Well, ultimately, <clears throat> so uh, let's say you decided to do your own plumbing work and uh, it leaked and you put a claim in with the insurance insurance is going to come out and inspect it and they're going to look at it and say, well, this wasn't done by a professional. And so you're not covered. You know, if you go to sell a home and somebody sees it, uh, I've done some home inspections for friends before. And if I see something like that, I'm going to give them a big red flag and be like, Hey, this doesn't look like it was done by a professional. So Mm -hmm. unless they can produce something that says that it was, I would be very wary of it. But I mean, unless you can catch something and prove it, Uh, I've only had one instance where I've caught a major building problem uh, and the homeowner was actually able to go back to the seller Mm -hmm. and uh, recoup the cost of repairing the job. Oh, wow. Um, So it was a big job. It was a structural foundation job. Jesus. 
Well, that's uh, that's great that you were able to help them and uh, avoid that cost. But you know, also in the on the the other hand, miraculous that they were able to recover that cost because that's yeah. that can be difficult to do, especially uh, ex post like that if you've already entered into the uh, the sale agreement or purchase agreement. Mm-hmm. So, what are some of the common mistakes you see people make when they're trying to do a home renovation project themselves? So, we you talked a little bit about the you know electrical. What else do you see them do that uh, obviously? is a common mistake that they make? Well, it, it, it depends on what you con- quantify as mistake, because to me, installing trim the wrong way is a mistake. Uh, but most of the mistakes that a DIYer will do that a contractor in theory would not are just using the wrong uh, product to make the installation. So I've seen doors installed with big heavy screws that putty put over them instead of brad nails. I've seen uh, flooring not glued down properly or not installed with expansion gaps. I've seen bad tile jobbing. You name it, I've seen it. It's usually right. though, uh, it's not installed correctly. So mm-hmm. they kind of knew enough to, oh, I got to do this to make this happen, but they didn't know 100% of the knowledge to install it correctly so it won't fall apart and it looks profit, professional and solid. Right. So how much are you really saving when you do a project yourself? <laughs> uh, well, that that depends on your skill level. It depends on your, you know, I have a friend who's very handy guy. He he works in an office and he does little home renovation projects on his weekends. He loves doing it like a hobby and he's quite mm-hmm. good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I've gone into his house and I've, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give him a few tips and, hey, you should make sure you look at this or do it like that. And he, you know, he, oh, thanks a lot. And so he's not a hundred percent, but he's pretty good, good enough for the average uh, bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most people, um, you know, uh, I don't personally, I don't think you're saving very much. Are you, when you're done, you're going to sit back and you're going to look at it and you might think it looks okay, but you're going to know where all the mistakes are. You're, you're not going to look back at it and say, that's a beautiful thing. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I'm happy with it. And everyone that comes in is going to go, wow, what a great job you did having a professional do it. Although it costs more upfront, you're mm-hmm. just going to, you're going to have no stress because doing it yourself can, can just destroy you mentally. If you don't yes. know what you're doing. Uh, I I've seen people with, with projects that have taken years, years to do, cause they just can't get it right. They don't want to do it. They gave up on it and now it just sits there. So you got a mental stress component and then you've got uh, just the finished product you've got to live with. And, and, and I, I also have to redo it. Sorry to interrupt. If you have to redo it, you're having to pay a contractor then anyways. So oh. you've got all the cost of what you did and now you got to pay a contractor to come in and fix it. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't <laughs> think one of the things that people factor in is the cost of their time. So. No. And you know, to you funny, you mentioned you know, take can take years. So my buddy, the the one who did it himself, has been working on it for three years now. Is still not done. He's almost done, but he's still not not there yet. And I, I can tell you from my experience talking to him and seeing him go through it, there was a lot of a lot of mental uh, stress that's gone on him. And and you know, he he's talked about you know, there've been certain nights when he's sitting there laying in bed trying to think about how he's going to do a project because he has he's trying to piece it together in his mind, and it's. It's not as seamless as, you know, just uh, going out there and, and doing it or as simple as sometimes it uh, it may seem to be watching a YouTube video. 
And, and there's also the the mental stress of the time that he's put into it. You know, he's got a now a second child on the way. Uh, first one is uh, just turned a year old a couple of weeks ago, and he's uh, he's working full time at the same time. And so he's got all of this, all, all of these other things going on in his life, in addition to trying to figure out how to and then executing a home renovation. And he are he articulated exactly what you said, which is. I like I walk into his house and I look and I think this looks incredible. Like that the fact that you did this yourself is impressive. And he goes to me, I hate this house. I can't wait till I'm done so I can sell it because I don't want to live here. I yeah. hate looking at all the mistakes that I made. I know where everything was was done wrong, where I uh where I cut corners. And uh, you know, he he really does not does not love the the project as much as he I think did at the beginning of it. Well, at the beginning, I think it's kind of like, hey, I'm gonna do this and it's gonna be great, and you have all this enthusiasm. The mm-hmm. second you get into it, and and you you said a key word there, he he knows where he cut corners. Yeah, you know, and that's something that a contractor shouldn't be doing, right? Yes, for sure. As I mentioned, Adam, one of the reasons people choose to do the renovations themselves is to save money. I know it can vary significantly based on how you choose to finish the room, but what would the ballpark range be for cost or price when it comes to doing a typical bathroom renovation, starting with just a simple two-piece powder room. It, a lot of it's going to depend on the the person themselves, because obviously, when you renovate something, you're going to try and upgrade something. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people renovate because it's broken. Uh, maybe the tiles are all cracked and need to be replaced, and they look at it and say, "Well, if I'm going to replace a tile, I got to pull the toilet. Mm-hmm. Is the toilet new or is it really, really old? Should I replace the toilet?" There's a lot of decisions that have to be made there, but hypothetically, um, a two-piece powder room, I mean, if you're doing just a basic facelift with entry-level building materials, I mean, it might cost you $8,000. You know, I mean, again, a toilet these days isn't 200 bucks anymore. It's a, a good entry-level toilet, 600. Right. Um, you know, a vanity isn't $800 anymore. They're $1,200. So you got to take into account all the price increases that have happened recently and then people's time is worth a lot more today than it was five years ago Um, and then flooring on top of that as well well again you used to be able to go to a tile store um, a nice high-end tile store and they would always have their discontinued end so -hmm. you could get some super expensive tile at a a massive discount uh, which was really really nice for small projects because usually there was not enough to do a whole house in but mm-hmm. hey you know here's a bathroom great and you could spend like a dollar or two dollars a square foot uh, it's not as much the case anymore um, right. now it's you know you might be spending 20 or 30 dollars a square foot just for tile right so you know uh, and, and again the sky is always the limit I, I tell people like I've I've done small little powder room renos where again it's just quick facelift not very expensive but uh at the same time you could spend a hundred thousand dollars putting tvs in your mirrors and speakers in your in your lights and uh Adam, he, you know, he's the... right there you can't mention the stuff that he's asked you for <laughs> bill 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 did, did did you did you get that eight thousand dollars for an entry-level uh two-piece powder room <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I'm sitting here being very skeptical of that. I, Bill, I saw you choking on something. <laughs> <laughs> well, sticker shock, eh, Bill? No, no. You know what? Unfortunately, my daughter needed to have her, they're having to have their bathroom redone, and it's not a simple two-piece vanity. 
And uh, they got they got quotes in the neighborhood of twenty and thirty thousand dollars to redo their bathroom. Yeah. So I'm sitting here thinking, uh, I don't believe that eight thousand number. Well, uh, again, that's that's like you know, I, I base that on something like you got a five by five room, so there's twenty five square feet, right. right? If you could find a bucket tile, in theory, your your material cost is twenty five bucks for that for that tile, right? Mm -hmm. A bucket square foot, a, right. a toilet, six hundred bucks. Uh, a vanity at then 1200 bucks, you might spend three grand in material and a little two piece. If you're just pulling the floor of the vanity in the toilet, throw a lick of paint on and put the fixtures back exactly where they are with no plumbing work, no electrical work, no major uh, changes to anything. It should be, it should be a one week job for like one guy. Yeah. Right. And then so, obviously once you start uh, either touching... that or I'm also, maybe I'm charging too little. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That, you're, a bargain, Adam, you're a bargain contractor. Uh, Adam, it's all, that your description of that last one sounded like a lick and a prayer. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then uh, you get into the embedded TVs and the mirrors like somebody wanted, and yeah, that could be $8,000 right like 10, there. Yeah, it's 10 grand just uh, without padding an eye, right? Yeah, exactly. So it, obviously it, it depends on, like you said, what you want to make of the of the project itself. So what about when we get into like a three or a four piece bathroom, you know, your standard master bath or, you know, uh, a second bathroom in the house where you've got multiple fixtures, it's a little bit larger. Are we talking at that point, the average price going to well, be again, somewhere in the um, 20 to 30 range? Th this is where something like a master bathroom, I would, I would always suggest uh, like something like a heat, adding a heated floor. Heated floors are one of those things where, it's much more common today to be putting heated floors in places. The technology is a lot greater. Uh, it's easier to do. It's not cheap, but the added value of walking across the floor in the winter in your bare feet and having no change in temperature uh, or a very comfortable uh, floor when you get out of the shower, it, it's one of those things you don't think about. Mm -hmm. But if I took it away from you, you would notice it the very next day. I absolutely. So Adam, it's funny you mentioned that whenever I walk into the, the bathroom here that you've been working on, I think, well, this is really nice. And then I go and I walk into one of the other washrooms because that's the one that I use when I uh, work over here. And you feel the difference. You feel how cold and, and hard the tile is. Whereas in the other one, it feels like you're walking on the beach. Like it's it's warm yep. and luxurious and it's it's incredible. Yep. And uh, and then other things like, um, again, we've done a lot of custom glass there because it's given a beautiful look to something with minimal obstruction custom vanities are a lot more expensive obviously anything time you put the word custom into something people immediately tighten up a little bit and go okay how much is this going to cost and, and again but the master you got to remember that the master bath for the homeowner is their bathroom typically it's not the shared one it's not usually a common one it's where you want to enjoy your space. Uh, so to make it your own is always a smart idea. I don't think you're losing money on it. You're going to get the enjoyment out of it. But yeah, you're, I mean, a master bath with custom fixtures and everything, you're up over 50 grand easy without yeah. batting an eye, right. you know, in today's prices. And again, uh, you know, uh, as I've sent a lot of my clients, including yourselves to places that like boutiques to look at fixtures and bathtubs, Again, you can spend $1,000 on a bathtub and you can spend $10,000 on a bathtub. Yeah. It functions the same. Yes. It holds water. It holds you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and some yeah. other stuff. 
and maybe a few other things, but, but ultimately how much are you going to enjoy it for your budget? And I tell people, look, look, you, you got to do a little research and a little shopping around, find the product that you're happy with and I'll put it in. Right. Now we'll get to the, the mother load, the big <laughs> project that uh, a lot of people end up doing. And that's the, the kitchen. That one tends to be the moneymaker. So tell us, for a, a typical kitchen renovation, what should somebody expect when it comes to both cost and timeline? So um, again, uh, the, the biggest thing of that I, I warn people about kitchens is with bathrooms, unless you're in a smaller home, a lot of houses have an extra bathroom, whether it's a spare bedroom, uh, a common bathroom off the hall, or maybe even just a two-piece powder room. There's, there is another facility to use there's only one kitchen typically in a house. I've not been in too many homes with, I mean, unless uh, I go back to uh, some of my uh, past girlfriends who were Italian and their I was parents say, typical Italian home, the, the Italian home with the basement kitchen all, all the time, but uh, that's not always the case. And uh, when you're losing your kitchen, it's extremely disruptive to people. Yeah. Uh, so that number right off the bat, you have to be really ready and prepared for that reno. Uh, a lot of times because of the, the time delays in things like countertops versus cabinetry and then plumbing, uh, I will hook up temporary stuff for people. I've even moved kitchens into another dining room for people before and set up a temporary little mini kitchen right. while we gutted the main kitchen. Uh, and then we had to fix that room, <laughs> yeah, no but, kidding. uh, but it was, it was a whole floor renovation. So it was, it was kind of okay. However, it's just, um, you know, again, kitchen cabinetry, if you go to Ikea, you can get kitchen cabinetry for 250 bucks a cabinet. Now, someone has to still put that together and install it, and it is an Ikea-level kitchen, uh, which is, might be fine for apartments or condos or stuff like that. But if you're doing a massive renovation and you want a nice kitchen, you're going to get uh, a cabinet maker to make your cabinetry. And the kitchen cabinets alone can run you between the, again, I'm not, I couldn't give you an exact per linear foot, uh, but you know, an average kitchen um, might run you $50,000 just for the cabinets and not, not unheard of. Uh -huh. For sure. And, and when it comes to the, the, something like the cabinets, do you notice a material difference? in the quality if you go with a, a custom cabinet versus a, oh, yes. uh, an Ikea? Yeah, very much so. Cabinetry uh, and millwork companies, you you very much do, in theory, get what you pay for because a, a, a custom millwork will be typically a solid uh, plywood box like a, a maple or a breech veneer plywood interior boxes with either a paint grade hardwood or a um, solid MDF paneling that's sprayed. I've even had stained doors done. So they're obviously of a maple or different wood species uh, variety. Um, it's the construction is, is night and day. Just if you were to just see them on the shelf, you would understand how heavy a custom made cabinet is. And therefore you've got a heavier hardware. Right. It's going to last you infinitely longer yeah durability um, i i found was uh very. an issue with some of the um the, the particle board uh if you will like uh, mm -hmm. cabinetry because uh my parents house here we had shelves that have collapsed 
mm-hmm. are, are falling right out because you know you you get they, a whole they, bunch of put, mugs and plates and yeah, they warp they, yeah. they they start to bend and flex and where uh cabinets even shelves uh drawers made from a mill worker they're going to be of a plywood construction like i said it's probably more likely a beach veneer or a birch veneer plywood the strength is going to be unmatched you're also able to repair things of 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 a higher quality nature uh more than you can repair a particle board particle board is going to have some sort of a skin on it right whether it's a plastic or uh, a it's a wrap, wrap essentially or, yeah exactly you can paint that it's not going to be the same as painting wood no. uh if, if you have a solid wood door and you want to change its color a painter can come in and they can sand it down respray it and it's a brand new door yeah. you know to say to say nothing of the the customizations that you can gain uh by going with a custom uh, uh cabinet uh, cabinet maker uh, because of the fact that they can create things that are more functional create designs that are more functional than what you're going to get at, you know, your standard Ikea. But anyway, that's not to, uh, uh, not to poo poo uh, those people who are looking for just the, the cost saving nope. option. It's I just have you. an Ikea kitchen in my house. Uh, it was cost effective for the time. We went with the uh, higher grade drawer faces and doors. Mm-hmm. And I've been surprised at its durability. You know, I can, I know where it's softer in, in certain areas and, um, you know, there's areas that I would strengthen a little bit. And again, I have the ability to maybe add a little customization to it. Uh, but I've been happy with it. It's just, it's, it's less about um, the, like the quality is good enough if it's installed correctly, but mm-hmm. I know that I'm not going to have the longevity of that kitchen that I would with a custom made kitchen. Right. Right. That over to you. Well, I think we covered uh, the, the subject as to how people can uh, cut back on some expenses. So on the on the subject of home renovations and choosing the rooms and the areas that would add the most value to the home, what are the projects that have a, a multiplier effect on the value of a house for, let's say, Adam, for every $1 spent on the project, mm-hmm. will it add $3 in value or something to that effect? Well... I'm not a real estate agent, so, (laughs) but from what I understand, I mean, um, and what I find is uh, bathrooms and kitchens being, although they are the most expensive rooms in the house, um, I think for possibly that reason, that if somebody else has already upgraded it for you, uh, you're willing to pay more for the house. Uh, Because bathroom and kitchen renovations, not only are they most expensive, they're the most disruptive to your daily life. Okay. Right. So what are the what are the areas you most often see people getting carried away with and spending more money unnecessarily? <laughs> um well unnecessary spending really it, it's kind of a personal whether or not you like that, right? Um I mean uh you know, I I had somebody wanting a new hardwood floor and they chose a um a walnut. It was a beautiful floor, uh, or sorry, was it cherry? It was an, a species that was not as common uh, to have on a hardwood floor. It was very nice, but it was very soft. And he had kids, and I said to him, I said, you know, this floor is going to get marked up and 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 dinged and scratched very easily. It's not as durable as other species of wood. Uh, but that's what they wanted, and we put it down for them. But I and it was 
probably three times more expensive just for the material than a similar species to give a similar appearance. Right. So in that respect, I kind of looked at it and thought to myself, I think you're being foolish with uh, what you're purchasing here. Yeah. And, and another one that I, that comes to mind for me and sorry to interject here, dad was uh, there's a house. Uh, if you, if you look it up, it's on Dalton uh, road in Mississauga. And, and this house is very unique. It, it looks like something that a bond villain would live in. Like I'm talking <laughs> the inside of it is designed with a lot of stone and mm -hmm. like, it, it kind of looks like you're living in a cave and you're trying to hide out from all of civilization because you're plotting against them. Not to say that that's what the owners who live there were doing, but that's just kind of what it looks like. Now, now we know where the bomb shelter is in Mississauga. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> the the point being, when I looked at the uh, the listing, just out of curiosity, because I wanted to see what they were listing it for, in the listing itself, first of all, compared to the other homes in the area, it was at a depressed value. And uh, the realtor had gone in and listed the house as, you know, already approved for reconstruction. They've already uh, received approval <laughs> for reconstruction. I, I assume on the basis of nobody, it's it's such a specific taste that they've gone and they've implemented in that home. You're very unlikely to find somebody who A, has the, the financial wherewithal to be able to purchase it on that piece of real estate because that's the most expensive street in the city, but also to then, you know, want to have the same tastes to yeah. be able to say, I want that house as is condition like that to me. I mean, if you have enough money that it doesn't matter, I, I suppose that's your choice. But to me, if you're looking at it from an investment standpoint, that's not going to give you a whole lot of bang for your buck to do a home like that because you're going to enjoy it. You may love it. But at the end of the day, when it comes time to turn around and sell it, you're going to be hamstrung by your choices in, in terms of your market that you're going to be selling to. Well, yeah. I mean, you're really you are going to um, what you would call a poor renovation, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. Really, you're the only one who's gained value out of that. And nobody else is going to like that take on something or the market is so small, you, you, you're you limiting buyers. I mean, you see TV shows with these unique homes all the time where there may be, uh, it's an engineering marvel, but I saw one house out in like California that rotated. And it's like, how many people want a rotating house? You know? <laughs> exactly. It, it sounds super cool and, you know, but... <laughs> From a practicality standpoint, like <laughs> Adam, to me that that reminds me of the beds from the seventies that you see uh, from the old movies, where it's a circular Rotating bed around. that rotated with a mirror on the ceiling, and yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> a very specific I, choice, but but so, that's just that would be an, a perfect example of of, in my opinion, poorly spending your money. But at the same time, I I've never not put something in for somebody because they wanted to spend the money. It's right. your home in the end. And if this is what you want, I'm happy for you. <laughs> okay. That's so, so, so Adam, you're saying it's actually possible to do an upgrade that reduces the value of a home? Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, uh, the, the most, most renovations uh, obviously add value to the home. However, if you've ever, for example, like you mentioned, you can just drive by some houses and it just it doesn't fit with the neighborhood so again you're not going to get probably the full value out of that home uh that maybe your neighbors can get because your market is smaller um the well, uh it's interesting you mentioned sorry to interrupt you it's interesting yeah. you mentioned that because we live in an upscale neighborhood 
And the, the homes in this area are are running in uh, several million dollars. But there, there's a, a street um, in the neighborhood where someone took a home that was only constructed 25 years ago, just br brought it down to its foundation, rebuilt it with this ultra contemporary design. It's it's beautiful, mm -hmm. but it completely it does not fit, fit in yeah. with, with the rest of the neighborhood. And they've priced it at an 80% premium to what the houses, to what their neighbors' uh, home values are. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Are these people ever going to get their money out of it? I mean, if real estate, as, as my understanding, is never a bad investment as long as you can sit on it long enough. And if they're going to live there their entire lives, that as the neighborhood ages, people may look at it and go, oh, that's pretty cool. Maybe I'll buy the house three doors down and do the same thing. And you would change the neighborhood's feel. I don't see that first person, though. As I've understood it also, you never want to be the first person and you never want to be the last person. The first mm -hmm. person never gets their money back and the last person always overpays for everything and can't get their money out of it. Right, so, right. so uh, you know, when things like that start happening, um, I, I, I don't see that person getting any value out of it. Maybe they can recoup over time their cost, but that would be due to inflation and, and general right. price increases. Uh, I, I renovated my home just uh, over the pandemic, uh, and we specifically left the original shell of the house so as to not disrupt the look. It's a completely brand new house on the inside, right? And we added an addition to the back and to the to the top. But I purposely kept the complete profile of the original house to keep in with the neighborhood, and yeah. we loved it. I mean, it's it's a unique house that's over a hundred years old. I mean. Wow. You know, there's certain character there that you can't build anymore. That's right. That's right. What 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 are the some of the most common mistakes you see people making in their home renovation, whether it be design mistakes or material selection? Um, well, I think the 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 biggest mistake people uh make is not spending the money in the right places. Um as a contractor, I am less interested in what you want it to look like. And I am much more interested in spending the money to make sure the things you can't see are rock solid, high end, and will not fail or, or, or lose function. Uh, right. Things like the waterproofing materials behind a shower. Um, right. You know, people, any shower that was built in the eighties uh, or even in this, uh, the nineties, they're typically a, um, a, a rubber membrane with a concrete base that creates the slope. Those right. rubber membranes have a lifespan and they rot out. And then that's where you get leaking. Uh, mm. The materials, more modern materials today that you see uh, usually made by Schluter. I think there's a couple other brands that, that make them. And it's like orange fabric material. Mm -hmm. That's a, a waterproof membrane that um, sits just below the tile, as opposed to having concrete on top of it. Remember concrete mm -hmm. is, porous and holds water so mm. in essence those old showers once the once you take a shower the concrete gets wet it never dries out wow. so your that membrane is always sitting in a puddle of water which is what rocks it over time that's where if you can prevent the water from getting to something that's always better it's a, a similar uh concept to the outside waterproofing on your foundation uh they used to just spray a light tar and and put up uh put the backfill in and now 
you're they're more common to find heavier waterproofing membranes with protection boards and ways to prevent water from penetrating that foundation. So so this is why the powder room is $8,000, because you're not just going to rip off old tiles and stick new ones back on. You have to take it right back to the to the studs and uh, re redo the whole thing from scratch. Well, yeah, I mean, like like I said, with with, with a basic uh, um, powder room, you're you're gonna you're gonna tear tear up the tile, but instead of you know the the sub membranes to put tile down, like a, a scratch coat, which is the old older style where they put a metal mesh and pour concrete um, and then tile on top of that, that still works just fine today. Uh, but you don't have to worry about in a powder room waterproofing. Um, you don't have to worry about um, you know, seals and gaskets, um, unless you want to put a heated floor in, in which case I would say, yes, by all means, put a heated floor in a, in a powder room as be an upgrade. Um, you know, again, if you're not touching any of the plumbing, plumbing and electrical really hasn't changed very much and it's in really good condition. But if I was going to go into an older home and do a powder room renovation, I would look at what the walls are made out of and say like, Hey, you know, you have old plaster walls here. When we tear this off, these are going to crack. We can go a step further and strip it all out, uh, put new drywall back, um, or we could just skin the plaster and try and do our best at repairing. All of these things have obviously different values associated with them, but they also have different lifespans associated with them. Right, right. Mo moving from the inside of the house to the outside of the house, Everyone talks about uh, the curb appeal of a house. What are some of the most cost-efficient upgrades people can make um, on the outside to really boost the value of their home? On the outside of a house, I would honestly find that um, most people have overgrown gardens. Um, I find that people like to see homes and don't want to feel cluttered. And simply having a gardener clean up bushes and cut things back and keeping it looking nice on the, on the front of a house it's a bit, that's a big upgrade. It's not a cost effective one, or sorry, it is a very cost effective one. Um, lighting is another one. Um, especially, uh, how most houses aren't, don't have a lot of light on the outside of them. And if it's not too much, too invasive, uh, soffit lighting can add great curb appeal. If you have light fixtures on the outside of the house, making sure that they, um, operate and they are, of a style that matches the house. And uh, as you pointed out, having something overly contemporary in, in a non-contemporary area um, would not, uh, wouldn't add as much value. Um, you know, outside of that, and there's not a lot you can do other than making sure your eaves troughs are kept in good working order so they're not clogged and spilling out uh, right crap all over the place, you know, and stuff like that. So, so what you're saying, Adam, is uh, when you come back to my house, you're going to light it up like the Parthenon. <laughs> well, we're, we're getting to that point there. We've, <laughs> we're go, we've got lighting to look at. And, uh... <laughs> okay. So when selling a home, is it better to renovate first and then sell, or is it better to sell as it is so that uh, there's a blank canvas for the buyer to choose the finishings that they want? Um. That that's a that's a hard one. Uh, I would say that um, it, I think it really depends on the condition of the home. Uh, you wouldn't hang a sh new chandelier in a haunted house to try and sell it. 
you know, um, you might hang an old chandelier in the haunted house. If if you're if you're if you're at a certain if the house is at a certain dilapidation mm-hmm. point or or wear or age, uh, I've I've gone in and seen houses for sale, and it was the little old lady that has lived there her entire child, like right from a childhood, it was the family home, and she still lived there, and nothing has been changed. Carpets are original. Yeah, exactly. Very much so. You get the you, avocado. You walk in and it's 1940. Yeah, you get the avocado uh, and flowered wallpaper and the uh, yellow paint on the walls. And uh, those houses don't renovate them. They Somebody is looking to walk in and gut the whole place. Right. Um, if you have a house that's maybe only 20 years old and you say, you know what? It hasn't been updated and we want to sell then yeah, updating, maybe just changing out the kitchen cabinetry, just the drawer faces, right? The cabinet boxes might be in decent shape, but you could you can get new drawers and, and doors made for a kitchen, maybe put a new countertop in, do some small renovations of that nature, would really punch a house up uh, and make it feel a lot more modern and newer than, uh, than it is, so. Yeah, I, I think that's a... Uh... That's a great way to put it, Adam. The part of the reason why we we I've discussed this at length with my parents is because uh, one of our neighbors across the street, or former neighbors, she had renovated her home, uh, not a major renovation, but they had done some renovations to try and uh, modernize the home because it was twenty odd years old at the time that she sold it. And then the the person she ended up selling it to ended up ripping it down to the studs anyway and, and putting in their own vision. And so I. I've always wondered, you know, after the fact, was it really worth it for them? You know, they spent all that money to to renovate it, change it, and it seems like a waste of materials for them to put it in and only last not even six months and it, it got tossed. It might depend on how much they spent versus how much they would have got without those, right? True, uh, true. You never know who the buyer is going to be. I mean, a younger couple looking for their first home, uh, they're not going to be, they won't have the budget to do any renos. So they're going to be walking around going, how do we get a functional home for yeah. at least the next five to 10 years before we're going to be selling or renovating or upgrading right. uh, versus uh, you know, a developer is going to come in and go, I don't care what you do. This house could be <laughs> 10 years old and we're going to mm-hmm. take it down and put up uh, an ultra modern contemporary house. Right. Exactly. So, so clearly home renovations uh, and home building mistakes are not limited to amateur amateurs. <laughs> Lots of professionals make mistakes as well. What are the what are some of the common mistakes that you see made by professionals when they when it comes to you know building a home, whether it be a new home or whether it be a, an entire development or independent contractor? What are some of the common things that you see or that you look for when you're walking through a house? Well, new homes have worn much better warranties than uh, uh, older homes, obviously, um, new big home builders will, will give you a certain time period to have things fixed. Um, from my experience, not to name anything, I have seen a lot of corners cut on big developments, um, things like building in the winter and and leaving ice and snow within the structure, uh, while it's being built. And then the, the house is heated and you have, um, the ice melts, you have gaps in the framing, you have water dripping down from the uh, roof area because the snow drifts are now melting into the home. They're probably not going to rip down the house to re- to fix those major components, and they're more likely to just shore it up and paint over it. Uh, 
you know, I've seen um, from smaller contractors, it's usually a lack of knowledge. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll go in and have a client call me and say, oh, you were recommended to me by, you know, so-and-so. And because I had this um, wall taken out two years ago uh, and a beam put in and the drywall around it's cracking and that, you know, and you look into that and I found that they didn't put the beam in properly. They didn't point load it properly. It just, it, whether it was a willing disre- like to, um, you know, disregard for uh, proper building techniques to save a dollar or mm-hmm. whether they just didn't have the knowledge of how to properly install a point load beam and have structural drawings made. Um, you know, these are, are, are not, I wouldn't say mistakes are, I think mistakes are done inadvertently and whether I, the only way I could see that happening is you don't have the knowledge and you didn't know any better. Yeah. Like to me, the one thing that comes to mind and you and I have talked about this before is with uh, new home builders, a lot of times because it's a volume project that they're working on, they're trying to do, you know, 15, 20 homes at a time. Uh, and, and obviously as you and I discussed, a lot of the work is subcontracted out. It's not, mm-hmm. we'll strap a name to it just for the sake of it. Madamy homes. It's not necessarily the Madamy Homes build team. It's Madamy Homes subcontracted, subcontracted out to whichever team. And if they haven't properly vetted the team or the team itself is, isn't really motivated or incentivized to provide particular care. And this, again, is not to uh, call out Madamy Homes. I'm just using them as an example. But if they're not incentivized to make sure that it is done properly on each and every home and their focus is just getting as many homes done as possible because they've got 20 to do and they're in a rush to get them all done quickly, then it seems like it's it's more uh, it would be more common for them to make mistakes and cut corners uh, well, when it comes to a home project. Yeah. So again, I wouldn't call it um, making a mistake, but cutting corners uh, is definitely something through my years that I have heard stories of. I've seen myself. Um, I've I've heard stories of framing guys that would uh, the code requires uh, on a two by four framed wall to have. Uh, or rather a two by six wall to have three nails in the bottom, or you have to toenail it one, two from either side. Um, the, 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 the bottom being three nails, the guy would say only put two, they would save one nail per stud, but that might equal a box of nails at the end of the job, which they were responsible for. And I'm sitting there going, how much is a box of nails? Well, that, that's just it. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, how cheap can you be? And, you know, um, but that's the type of stuff I've seen. Like I said, uh, so I was working, uh, helping my tile setter in the winter. And, uh, you know, uh, across the street, I'm watching the framers shovel off the snow from the from the, the floor joists. And there's ice everywhere, you know, and they just knocked the snow off, put the plywood down and nailed it. And I'm thinking to myself, when that ice melts, you're going to have a gap in between your your subfloor and your floor joists one it means you didn't glue it Mm -hmm. it means it's only nailed and when that wedge is there you're going to wonder why you walk across that floor and it squeaks right because there's there's movement yeah uh that shouldn't be there and i don't know if they don't get enough complaints or whether it's within a certain tolerance uh whether they go through and then they've got somebody when it warms up walking through with screws trying to get rid of the squeaks uh is it necessary i, I in the interest of speed to them maybe that's 
acceptable. Uh, in the way I see it, I rather take longer to do something, but when I do it, it never comes apart. Uh, you know, it's, it's there for life is the way I try and build things. So as it should be. So, you know, with that in mind, do you, in your opinion, is it better to buy an older home and renovate rather than buy a new build? If um, I think it's really, it's the personality of the person. Right. Um, I mean, you know, an older home has some beautiful character, but it also has a lot of, uh, um, of its own innate problems. Uh, mm-hmm. Older homes tend to have uneven floors due to just age and time and mm-hmm. settling of the house. Um, you know, uh, like I, I renovated my home. I use it as an example only because it's a hundred years old. It was about two inches out of level from the center to the outside walls because over a hundred years of sinking and, uh, you know, uh, settling and, and different building materials. Um, some of the floors looked like Swiss cheese from where people had been DIYers over the years and right. made lots of holes in the floor joists. Uh, I gutted it completely out and replaced everything so that it would be level again on new footings to make it solid, but it kept the outside. So if you walk into my home, it looks like a brand new house, but on the outside, it has that, that character. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't want to lose that character of the house. So, you know, versus, um, a very ultra contemporary home where people might want their bedroom wall to be floor to ceiling glass, wall to wall with, uh, electronic blinds or something of that nature. Uh, that's a, you're not going to get that in my home. It just one, there's nowhere to put it. It's not designed for it. Mm -hmm. So really it's a personal taste, uh, as to what you want to live in. Mm-hmm. Well, what just to uh, before we we move on here, I have uh, you know one follow up to that would be in order to avoid some of these issues, what should people be looking for when they're hiring a high quality contractor or construction company? Well, the, the the biggest thing that I would say is number one, um, if you're a homeowner and you're looking for a contractor to do renovations. Uh, Right off the bat, if you know somebody that's had renovations done, ask them if they like their contractor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a word of mouth is by far the greatest seller of anything um, because you trust your friends' opinions. Uh, if they say this is the guy to use, you're more likely to go with them. Uh, and they're likely to have a good reputation. Uh, you can ask around. If you're not sure, go see projects they've done. Don't just look at pictures because I can pull a hundred thousand pictures of houses off the internet to show you, you know, and say, Oh yeah, look at this house that I did. Mm -hmm. Um, talk to people. If you're not sure, uh, ask about the reputation and how they work and whether they like them or not. Um, you know, uh, for a big home builder, I really don't have an opinion on, I mean, they all have a great sales team, so they're all going to seem like the greatest builders in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I I would just tell everybody to do your own research. Yeah. So obviously, we've seen style trends evolve over time. What are some of the current trends that you're seeing in homes today? Um, big trends that I find now are um, a lot of contemporary on the inside of homes. Uh, people are getting away from... Uh, very ornate uh, trims and casements and, uh, and, and patterns. And, and I, I'm doing a lot of white, mm-hmm. very neutral, very light colors, nothing very super bold. Um, 
that's uh, the other thing I would find is people are trying to stick with uh, the look of their home. So I do renovate some older homes and we are tearing out a lot of the mix mismatched um, baseboards and casements and putting in something that would be more close to the period of the home, but right. all, all new so that you're eliminating all of that, all those cracks and unevenness and, and parts that have fallen off over the years. Uh, right. So it looks the way it should. So what are some of the cooler projects that you've gotten to work on? Or are things that you've seen done in homes that after it was done really stood out to you as like, wow, that was a, that was a major upgrade that looked, that turned out really nice. Um, well, I, I, I put a lot of my own personality and, 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 or rather my own heart into every project I do. So I, I really try to, if I wouldn't do it in my house, I wouldn't do it for a client. Mm -hmm. Uh, so each project is kind of personal, even if it's just a standard bathroom renovation. Uh, however, uh, some of the cooler things, um, you know, uh, a lot of the cooler stuff has kind of been more recent, but the first project I think I ever did, uh, going back to that deck that kind of said to myself, this is what I want to do. I mean, it's a lake access cottage. We went there with nothing, you know, and I was kind of surprised. My friends are like, oh yeah, by the way, we need to, uh, we need to rebuild this deck and we need your help. And here I'm standing here now you got me. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, just, uh, standing there with nothing and just building it in my head and, and hauling the lumber across a lake and saying at the end of the day, it's a done project and everyone was enjoying it. I mean, mm -hmm. that to me is the, is the epitome of what I do is just seeing my clients love what I do for them and seeing them enjoy it because right. nothing would hurt me more than to finish a project and have a client say, I'm really not happy with this. Right. One of the the coolest ones I ever saw was uh, a friend of mine. His parents put in a uh, a wine cellar in their uh, in their basement, and this thing is temperature controlled to the point where the second you walk in, the air conditioning kicks on in order to counteract the heat that your body is giving off, so as not to disturb wow. the wine. <laughs> like to me, something like that is is phenomenal, and it, it it will always stand out in my mind as something that's really really unique but something that's also unique uh to cooler climates and specific to canada is heated driveways mm -hmm. and so as i understand it there's basically two different mechanisms for doing it one is to run a coil or a coil system uh underneath the driveway in order to provide heat and melt the water that's over top the other one would be to use uh running hot water pipes underneath in order to basically move hot water underneath and that obviously radiates heat and melts off the snow that uh, and the ice that accumulates on the driveway. So what are some of the advantages and, and disadvantages of each of these two projects? Um, well, uh, typically what you find, uh, the difference between electric heat and uh, what would be like a hydraulic type of heat, like a, a water type system, is the electric heat coils, mats, um, tend to be much cheaper product-wise to purchase, install, so the upfront cost is much cheaper. Uh, however, as we're all aware, electricity isn't exactly cheap these days. So to run those systems can be quite costly depending on how bad of a winter we get. Um, the, so the kind of opposite is true of the uh, hydraulic systems where it is a combination of essentially water and, for lack of a better term, antifreeze. 
um, to keep the water from freezing. Uh, and it's a more expensive system to install. Mm -hmm. However, because it's run on essentially a boiler system that operates what's usually be on your gas system, right? Uh, gas is monumentally cheaper to run over the course of the winter. So to keep that system going in the long run is going to be a much cheaper cost. Right. And, and also, I assume the the durability of the hydraulic system is probably greater than the coils. Like eventually the coils burn out and, and need to be replaced. Do they not? Well, eh, not, not really, but I mean, I, I would say that um, like, eh, so, so any of these systems are typically uh, embedded in concrete uh, to protect them. And then what they're doing is warming the con concrete has a great ability to hold heat. So once you get it warm, you're just kind of maintaining that that warmth through the concrete, and then it radiates up. Um, the the electric ones, if you end up with, um, I guess if you have a damage in either one, it's hard to know where it is. But if, say you knew where the damage was, because maybe somebody put a hole in the driveway for some reason, the the water ones would be much easier, in my estimation, to repair. Mm -hmm. uh, because you can simply cut the water line, put a little piece in and then fix it. Right. Uh, electric ones can be temperamental trying to splice the wire back together. So that it operates at the same efficiency level may not be possible depending on the type of damage that is. Right. That makes sense. Well, Adam, as you've probably noticed on our many chats on the subject, <laughs> my dad and I are greatly interested in the subject and in, I'm sure it will be of great interest to our listeners. So we just wanted to thank you for taking the time to come on our show today and, and provide us with such great insights. And uh, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach you? Um, well, the best way to reach me would be uh, by probably email or a phone call. Um, those, those are the best two ways. Uh, letting me know, hey, this is where I saw you. And this is where who are so-and-so recommended me to you. And then mm -hmm. I know exactly what you're what you're here for. <laughs> okay, sounds good. And are we okay to share that email with everybody? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Email would probably be the best way. Uh, Perfect. If I if I don't get back to you right away, feel free to bother me because <laughs> <laughs> these days it's it's pretty busy and getting getting uh, timely uh, response is uh, one of the more difficult tasks I have right now. <laughs> that's fair. And that's Adam at Five B Construction dot com for all those who are interested five at the letter b and then construction so uh with that i'm going to turn it back over to bill to uh to wrap things up bill right, uh, be before before you wrap it up bill do we have time to show two or three quick pictures of adam's work well sure okay let's see on if an I can... audio on, on a primarily audio platform pictures yeah. are great <laughs> <laughs> well i know they well, uh for those often... who are only listening we're going to swear to you these are absolutely phenomenal <laughs> photographs <laughs> can, can you see hey look at that well, it's even that? clean <laughs> yeah yeah of course yeah absolutely so there's a a couple of quick pics and Very nice. uh yeah. I love that bathroom. It, it's too bad you don't have the before ones john I, I do have them, but we don't. We don't oh. have time to get into it. <laughs> the the before dates the bathroom. <laughs> yes, oh. big time, big time. Large portions of this house are, will betray its age if uh, if yeah. you walk around it. So it's yeah, it's getting there though. That's beautiful. That's I love it, that bathtub. There's sure, more more work to be done. Yep, still we're still going. <laughs> yes. 
Absolutely. Sorry, Bill. Uh, I, I, we'll, love, uh... I love the shower. That I think it was my uh, my favorite uh, piece uh, in this whole bathroom. Um, I, I've never put a shower in quite that large before, right. and uh, and you guys have such beautiful water pressure that running all those systems at the same time is just like a monsoon in there. It's oh, it's wow. amazing. <laughs> That's great. very cool. Yeah, I appreciate all the work, Adam. It's uh, turned out beautiful, beautifully. Thank you. Thank you very much. Super. Well, as we wrap this up, <clears throat> all right, we know how to get all the we know how to get all the Adam. But uh, guys, what if uh, people are listening want to get a hold of you? How do they Absolutely. reach out and 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 talk to you? Absolutely. So if they want to reach out to us, they can visit our website. That's medwealth.ca med-wealth.ca or they can send us an email at info at medwealth.ca if they go to the website it also includes our information in terms of all of our phone numbers both our local and toll-free number and people can also follow us either individually or as a company on linkedin and we're also on x at med-wealth super thanks a lot alex appreciate it John and Alex, always appreciate the conversations y'all facilitate and, and the places you take us to with them. Thank you very much. And listeners, thank you for your time. We appreciate you listening. If you are not a subscriber already, become one. It's really easy. Hit the, hit the subscribe button, and uh, then you will never miss another episode of this fantastic podcast. On behalf of John and Alex and everybody at MedWealth, I'm Bill Tucker reminding you to go out and live your best life and live it today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Prescribing Prosperity. Visit our website at med-wealth.ca. That's med-wealth.ca for more information or to connect with us for a consultation. Don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and their guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of ITC Securities Corporation. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of a qualified and licensed financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment or retirement planning. MedWealth Financial Services can provide a private consultation to help you determine the suitability of any guidance discussed on the show.